fellow Anglophiles, and welcome to Anglophilia. I am Stephanie Callis. I'm Kaylee McMahon. And today we are going to be talking about The Vicar of Dibley. Yay. The Vicar of Dibley is a British sitcom which originally aired on BBC One from November 1994 to January 2000. It returned in December 2004 with a pair of holiday specials, and again in 2006 for two more holiday specials which included a series finale. The show briefly returned in 2020 for three obligatory lockdown episodes. Written by Richard Curtis and Paul Mayhew Archer, The Vicar of Dibley was inspired by the 1992 changes in the Church of England that permitted the ordination of women. Set in the fictional village of Dibley, the show stars Dawn French as Geraldine Granger, the village's first ever female vicar. Not only is Geraldine an exciting and new presence in the village, she's also the only resident who possesses an understanding of manners, humor, communication, and virtually all other societal norms. Despite being constantly surrounded by village idiots, she handles every setback with charm and humor and never hesitates to drop everything to help a friend in need. The series also stars Emma Chambers as the alarmingly youthful Alice Tinker, Gary Waldhorn as the humorless David Horton, James Fleet as the naive Hugo Horton, John Bluthall as the loquacious Frank Pickle, Roger Lloyd Pack as the bestial Owen Newitt, Trevor Peacock as the sex-crazed and stuttering Jim Trott, and Liz Smith as the culinary scientist Letitia Cropley. Other notable appearances include Peter Capaldi, Richard Armitage, Hugh Bonville, and Kylie Minogue. <laughs> Kaylee, how did you feel about The Vicar of Dibley? I think that this show has a very different sort of tone than a lot of the other ones that we've talked about that are my all-time faves. This is like a much more gentle, sweet, and earnest humor, and it didn't always make me laugh out loud, and for the first maybe half a season, I just kind of felt annoyed by it, but then by the end, I grew to love it, which makes me think that maybe out of all of these characters that you just so beautifully described, I'm David, because my heart <laughs> was eventually warmed by the arrival of the sweet, warm, lovely vicar, but but at first, I was quite skeptical. Okay, I had sort of a similar journey. I started watching this show during a week where I had taken the entire week off. And that is a thing I have not done since 2019. And being a freaking American in the workforce, you also kind of feel like you can't take a whole week off unless you're going to, like, go to freaking Mars and do something incredible. Like, you have to <laughs> like travel Jeff somewhere Bezos. if you're going to take time <laughs> off. Yeah. Are you thinking of fucking dick wad flying in the fucking dick land? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Christ. Uh, imagine, like, actually having the capability to save humankind, maybe, or at least delay the demise, but instead you're like, no, I'm gonna not go to Mars, but you everyone's gonna you watch me fly. I bet that if Jeff Bezos had Geraldine Granger as his vicar, he might reconsider a few things. I Give some money think, to the orphans. I think so, goddamn, too. But anyway, <laughs> so I was just at home, and even though my only, like, 
homework for that week was to start Vicar of Dibley. I still didn't want to. Then, for some reason, once I was like back at work and work was busy and I had to watch this at night during my precious free time, suddenly mm-hmm. in season two, I was like, oh, I love this show. This charmed me so much. Yes, yes. <laughs> I get what you mean about we love, you know, League of Gentlemen, Garth Marenghi, you know, we, yeah. we like um, the kind of darker, more twisted, the you know, sick, British yeah, yeah. shit. And if we look at the classics, our minds go to like a Faulty Towers or Monty Python or oh, yeah. e- even like like a Young Ones, like something more crazed. Um, <laughs> this is outrageous. Yeah, this yeah. is outrageous, like higher energy. Um, mm-hmm. And this show did have me thinking of Father Ted a lot, obviously, oh, sure. even though they are not Catholic, they are Church of England. But I think that what won me over in the end was not only like, like on any show, if the writers are doing the job well, the writing getting better, but I also just ended up falling for the goddamn village of Dibley, which is how I yes. feel about Royston Vasey or Craggy Island mm-hmm. or even the real place, Torquay. It's like, you know what? Being Geraldine in this village, even though that is not my life at all, I get it now. Yeah. It became so relatable. Just watching a young woman put out every fire, lift everybody's spirits, save the day again and again, Plus, you know, put her personal life on hold and answer the phone and answer the door. She's always doing it with humor and grace and style and compassion. And she's the nicest person. And I love her so much. I love the fucking Vicar of Dibley. You mentioned, obviously, Father Ted. I thought of Father Ted a lot, and I also thought of Blackadder a lot. It kind of is in the shadow of those two, in my mind, nearly perfect shows. And it's sort of like the nice, gentle twin. Those other ones are kind of the darker, more evil twin or more cynical twin. Like, Father Ted's take on religion and on Catholicism is definitely a very satirical and harsh one. And obviously, that is something that is closer to my worldview. And then with Blackadder, he's also... So the only smart and sane one in a world populated entirely by morons. But Geraldine obviously has a much better nature about it and she handles it much better even though she's just as aware and often just as frustrated by these people. She goes through with a smile and she treats them very gently like they are her children as opposed to Blackadder who, you know, pokes Baldrick in the eye with a pencil. (laughs) I think it would be a little alarming if Geraldine did something like that. Not to start on this trend early, but I also came across a different tweet recently about like, what does femininity mean to you? And Hmm. it's just been on my mind for a few weeks, actually, because femininity, we've talked about it. That's kind of tricky for me. Being the only girl in a family between two boys, I wasn't always allowed to be the most feminine little girl because you walk into a room with your dress and your curly hair and your brother says you're ugly and then that's that, you know? So femininity is is difficult for me, but watching Geraldine, just the handling of things, the shouldering of things and being not that mean about it if she can handle it, like just watching her take the sharp inhale and make her eyes big mm-hmm. when the idiot she's interacting with has turned his back. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, that is what femininity means to me. Yeah. <laughs> is I am, I will handle it. I hate you. I'm not going to let you see 
and I'm yes. just going to get this done. It's true. There is a repression there in a way that we haven't necessarily seen from the male protagonist that we've talked about. Like we talked about Basil Fawlty, how he's got this anger that's always simmering beneath the surface and he tries to keep a lid on it, but then it'll obviously explode in these hilarious ways. But Geraldine, by the nature of her gender, she has to always keep, and also by the nature of her job, like it's different if you're a hotel manager versus a member of the clergy, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about the characters? Yes, one Please, would you okay. like to start? Sure. Well, let's let's start with the titular one. Um, Don French is just so incredibly winning that even when I was sort of annoyed by what I felt to be underwhelming writing in the pilot i just loved her the second that she comes up on screen she just she just lights up the entire world she's wearing like a bright yellow raincoat and her smile lights up the room and she instantly begins to charm this very skeptical very old-fashioned village who are opposed to the idea of a female vicar before they even lay eyes on her mm -hmm. and like you said about like the the feminine power and the way that she subtly manipulates everybody um not in a sinister way but just by complimenting Hugo's tie and just disarming all of them by being very interested and very focused on each one of them and listening to Frank's stories and asking them questions about themselves and she pretty much instantly wins over everybody except for David but he obviously over the course of the show takes a shine to her in more ways than one. There's that X factor about her mm -hmm. and she's so beautiful. Yes. Can we go ahead and say that? We can. It's our podcast. <laughs> Dawn French is so pretty. Mm -hmm. She's got those big pretty eyes and that mm -hmm. smile and I love her bob haircut so much. She's gorgeous and very confident with the fellas and I love yes. that for her. I love that she's like just <laughs> a very horny lady and unashamed of it. She's yeah. always got a framed picture of a sexy celebrity on her wall next to Jesus. She's, you know, she loves Sean Bean and Johnny Depp and Mel Gibson. And mm -hmm. anytime she interacts with a man, like a man comes to Dibley and that's a big mm -hmm. deal. It doesn't make her depressed. Like, oh, well, this will never happen. I'm just the vicar of Dibley. She's like, yeah. oh, what's, what's this over here? A female member of the clergy who fully owns her sexual appetites. Like, holy crap, that's a very revolutionary thing, particularly in what, 1994? <laughs> yeah. It's funny the way you talked about how she charms everybody by being interested in them. Mm -hmm. My older brother, after finally listening to the You Must Remember This podcast about the summer of the Manson murders and learning that both Charles Manson and and Donald Trump are slash were fans of the guy I think who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. Like oh, the yeah, positive yeah. thinking, like how to seduce people and get what you want out of them. Like they both subscribe to that guy's philosophy. And so hmm. my brother is very much like me. I'm falling down a rabbit hole and I'm going to read this book now. <laughs> so he reads this book and he's trying to tell me like, oh my God, keep an open mind, but read the book. He's got this whole idea of how all you have to do to like seduce people and win them over is just be really interested in them and ask them all about themselves and listen even if you're not really Did he listening not fucking know that before reading the book but apparently like a lot of men don't know this because you've got them not only writing it but also reading it and saying it's a revolutionary idea and I had to say, like, as a woman, this is how we all navigate our survival on a daily basis is being nice to people and pretending they're interesting. Absolutely. And to his credit, 
he said, oh my God, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good, good man. Yes. There are so many cultural scripts that we have that are wrong, specifically in terms of gender. The idea that men need to present and they need to be impressive and they need to dazzle you with their accomplishments in like a Gaston way or like, oh, look at how many bicep curls I can do. Look at how far I can shoot off into space in my dick rocket. Look how much money I have. And... That has never made me like anyone ever. Human interaction is a two-way street and you want somebody who's going to engage with you specifically. And it is, you know, free tip for listeners who aren't hip to this fact and haven't read that book and don't plan to. Being interested in other people is like the greatest social skill that anybody can apply. Mm-hmm. I did want to say one more thing about Geraldine, which is that her as the center of the show, there's a certain type of show that I can't think of other examples right now, but... It's a genre, and maybe you can help me out with this, but she's like a special person in that the premise of the show is that a special person comes to town and she's the new element and she shakes up the old way and changes everybody in it for the better. And Mm -hmm. the central conflict of the show is like, will the world adapt to allow her to stay and to live harmoniously there with these people who maybe have differing ideas? And also in certain episodes, like, oh no, will this special person go away? Will she realize that she is too good for them and move on to greener pastures? Will she be promoted to being a bishop or will she get married and move away? And yeah, you can sense that these people love her so much and feel so invested in her by like, episode two, that that would be a real loss. And you can kind of feel the jeopardy in those situations, even though, of course, like it's a sitcom, she's not going anywhere. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Did you ever feel like she should have taken an opportunity to get out? I've been struggling with that question, actually, is like my my other question is something that I know that we asked ourselves in the very first episode about Mr. Bean. Is Mr. Bean happy? And is Geraldine happy? I don't know. I think that the answer is complicated in the same way that it would be complicated if you asked about any real person. Are they happy? And the answer is Sometimes, of course, they are, and sometimes, of course, they aren't. And that's a very realistic approach to a character. In the same way that we felt this about Blackadder, and he wasn't even a nice guy, but we felt bad for him because he's just alone. Or same thing with Father Ted. He doesn't have anybody really that is his intellectual equal, and so there's this real sense of isolation. And even though Geraldine is beloved by all of the people she is surrounded by, she doesn't really, until the last couple of episodes, have anybody but David who can even match her same wavelength. Yeah. So I can imagine that that would be very difficult to do for many years. And also, another thing we have to say about her is that she's such a people pleaser and will sacrifice things for the good of her flock and for other people's comfort. Like one of my favorite episodes, and also according to IMDb, one of the favorite episodes of the fans is the Christmas lunch incident. When she, <laughs> you know, in classic sitcom fashion, over extends herself and gets invited to Christmas lunch from four separate characters. And uh, for various reasons, they all pressure her to eat things. And they say like, oh, if you don't like this meal, I'll kill myself. Or I'm going to be so unhappy. I'll cry and cry forever if you don't finish your pudding. And so she gamely expands her stomach past what any human should be able to do just to make other people happy. That's just who she is. She makes sacrifices for others. Very Christ-like. Well, I mean, being a member of the clergy, the service of others is probably a big part of what you're supposed to live by and get your fulfillment from. But I know that you rewatched Sopranos recently. Sometimes the conversation of happiness will only remind me of the Russian woman with no leg talking to Tony about like, why are Americans so obsessed with being happy all the time? And I'm not saying that you and I are 
inherently then obsessed with happiness. But you can look at like, is Geraldine happy? Well, what is an indication that she's happy? Is it having everything like a Jeffrey Bezos shooting his dick rocket around? Or (laughs) is it being like a Geraldine where even under the most tremendous pressure, you're going to get up another day and do your job with a smile and try to do your best and help other people while you do it. And, you know, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I mean, that does seem like a very enlightened sort of clergy type definition of happiness and perhaps also a more English definition of happiness because the idea of Americans being obsessed with happiness I mean it makes sense because it's in one of our founding documents like of course life liberty and the pursuit of happiness those are our three god-given rights damn it and uh yeah a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on achieving that last one when in reality it's pretty impossible because nobody's happy all the time there are fleeting moments of joy but everybody has like a certain baseline that they will inevitably return to no matter what setbacks they have or Mm -hmm. what good things happen to them. And it depends on what your general outlook is. It depends on what your brain chemistry is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, probably Geraldine is happy by like a realistic standard. Gotta wonder, for the Founding Fathers, what did the pursuit of happiness mean? Did it mean smoking opium and screwing (laughs) a bunch of sex workers at once, like while reciting poetry in Dutch? Like, what did it mean? (laughs) Marrying their cousins. Well, speaking of happy, would you like to talk about David next? Wait, why is that speaking of happy? He seems like a miserable bastard. Well, now I kind of feel like Geraldine at the end of every episode. It's a joke. Oh. (laughs) Okay, guess what I discovered that that was actually happening after the credits and I had to go back and watch the end of every credits. Oh my god, you did not. I was wondering, I was wondering. If you would, <laughs> it was well into season two, but oh I god. swear to god, it's something I absolutely do need to train myself to do because back in my day, if you were watching a DVD of something or television, the credits rolled. It mm-hmm. did not say, like, and up next in seven seconds, we're gonna start the fucking next one, yes, but yeah, well into season two, I stuck around and then I went, oh god, I just bet, and then I had to go back and discover that there is a delightful little thing at the end of the credits of Geraldine telling a joke to Alice, which she does not get. I got a real bone to pick with streaming services. I just signed up for BritBox this week and I gotta say, the autoplay option is so annoying because the second the credits end and it goes to the cute little tag with telling a joke to Alice, it shrinks it to like two square inches in the top of my very big TV. They're like trying to not let you watch the credits. I just wish that even if there is an autoplay option that you can't turn off, it would at least wait until the entire episode has zero seconds left to play, because I always watch the credits. I think that people worked on this show and attention must be paid. I agree. I think that if you don't want to watch the credits, you go ahead and hit skip. Allow you can me to. do that. Yes. Yeah. Um, Life, liberty, and the pursuit of watching credits. It is my ha- God-given right as an American. Or what the fuck is going on with YouTube? Like when you have a video and then we're getting to be the end and then like there will be two windows that pop up over what you're yes. watching. What is that? I don't know yeah. how to make that go away. It's terrible. Remember when YouTube was just like people being attacked by animals and Mr. Pregnant and Oh My God Shoes? It was oh the best. Oh My God Shoes, yes. <laughs> now it is 12-year-olds putting on makeup and opening presents. Oh, don't forget like whispering and cutting soap and shit. (laughs) And mukbang. What the hell is that even? Okay, I mean, it's also an ASMR thing, I guess, if you like the sound of people crunching into a microphone. But (laughs) I have a story about that, go on. It'll be people with like a ton of food in front of them and then they just 
eat it and you watch and listen to them <laughs> and and so when I when I babysat my 11 year old cousin last weekend she was showing me these mukbang videos on YouTube and I thought okay how is there I bet there's just this awful Venn diagram of people who watch this and it's children and fetishists because Ooh. I'm watching this beautiful woman with like clear lip gloss on just like take this whole chicken leg in her mouth and I'm going okay on the subject of, of crunching as like a new genre of entertainment apparently I was facetiming my mom a year or two ago and I was eating some yogurt with some particularly crunchy granola clusters in them and you know how like the iPhone microphone amplifies sound to the point that it sounds really crazy on the other end yeah. and my mom was like oh my god what are you crunching you sound like Nazis marching and I was like what and then <laughs> She said, I'm going to prove it to you. And so then she record, she made a, a sound recording and then she matched it up with some footage of Nazis marching and it totally worked. I love that. <laughs> that is, wow. Um, so David. David is a no-nonsense, no-fun Tory who in the first episode immediately tries to boot her out and does it in such a sneaky way. Mm -hmm. He knows he's surrounded by village idiots and so he tricks them into thinking that they all wrote an open letter saying that they want Geraldine out and voted yeah. on it. And then someone realizes, wait, we never voted on this. None of us want this except you. And so then they do take a vote and David doesn't have the spine to, you know, vote for her leaving and be the only one. But she does end up charming him too. But yeah, maybe especially in season one, they have a nice little frisson for mm -hmm. Jean. Yeah. How do you say that fucking word? They have a nice little tension, is what I'm saying. I would say a, f a friendly rivalry. But he is the most disgusted by her being a lady at the beginning. On that note, I would like to play a clip. David is talking to his son, Hugo. This is outrageous. I won't have my village used like some laboratory animal to see if women vicars work. Well, she seemed a decent sort of chap to me. That's the whole point. She's not a chap. Well, no, not technically. <laughs> well, that is quite a technicality. I mean, what is happening? Are we to have topless bathing on the rectory lawn come summer? It just illustrates the slippery slopeism of how ridiculous it is to be against the idea of women in the clergy. We still hear that argument a lot about oh, anything yeah. slightly different. You know, gay is getting married? What next? Can I marry my goat? <laughs> Owen, Owen. Would be please. <laughs> I will say that as it took a while for the show to grow on me, it took obviously David the longest out of all of these characters to grow on me. I did eventually let him into my heart once I got to see a little bit more of his. But as early as episode two, I thought, oh God, I'm really nervous that they're going to tee up a romance between him and Geraldine. And I do not want that. I know that they're the only two people in the town with half a brain. And I know that they're opposites. And traditionally, in terms of rom-coms, opposites attract and they fight and fight and fight, but then they end up married and eventually they do do that very late on he realizes that he's in love with her and he proposes and she does consider saying yes uh, until she has a nightmare that reveals her true feelings about the situation and then she lets him down so gently she just says to him David uh, I'm sorry I think I just got swept away the other day I really like you but just because we're the only two people in the village with a brain cell, well, apart from you, Hugo, you've got two, haven't you? It doesn't necessarily mean that we're right for each other. True love is what keeps marriages together, not truly stupid neighbours with a big dollop of loneliness thrown in. 
And I was just so relieved that the show didn't just force her, you know, as a 40-year-old single woman to be lumped together with the only single bloke who is roughly age-appropriate-ish for her. I was so, so grateful that they let her have more and better. And even if they had kept her single, I still would have preferred that rather than just have her be tied to somebody that's very wrong for her, even if they do eventually come to love each other in a platonic way. Okay, I agree with you on everything, except I was such a dummy that in episode two, I did not pick up on the fact that they would eventually try to match them. This took me completely by utter surprise. And, you know, I kind of had that immediate pang of, oh, please don't, please don't, this mm -hmm. makes no sense. Um, in real life, though, it does make all the sense in the world that a David would come to love a Geraldine. Absolutely. That line that you just quoted was so good because it was like, oh, thank God we're also not going to lose Geraldine to mm -hmm. a show being on for a long time and people are just kind of lobotomized mid-season and they start acting like different people. The way that she lets him down, it's like, okay, good, you're, you're still in there. You're still confident and happy with yourself. You're not desperate yet. And also we get that speech. We get that speech that he gives to her at the end that fully made me cry. I would, however, like it to be noted for the minutes, as it were, that in the end I did have the brains to recognize what an extraordinary woman you are, and the intelligence to realize that the man who finally does spend his life with you will indeed be the luckiest of all men, even though so obviously it cannot be me. Still, I'll see you on Sunday. And I just thought, oh, Richard Curtis, here you are. Shall we move on to another character? How would one describe Alice? <laughs> very, very stupid, very innocent, believes in Santa Claus, believes in the Easter Bunny. She's the Baldrick, yes. the Dougal, the, Dougal, the Manuel, you know, whatever person is always up in like the lead character's face being sweet and stupid. Mm -hmm. But the patience that Geraldine has for her is so touching because they do become like best friends. One of the episodes with the good Alice and Geraldine dynamic that I like the most is engagement, hmm. where Geraldine is hip to the fact that Alice and Hugo, David's son, who's another Dougal-like person, not yes. necessarily a fully developed man, mm -hmm. Geraldine sees from a mile away, these people are into each other. And in just the most high school way possible, which is the only thing that was going to work for these mm -hmm. two people, she talks to Alice like, do you like Hugo? She talks to Hugo, do you like Alice? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, next time you see her, you better kiss her. And of course she's arranged for Alice to go home and get gussied up and then come back. So then in walks Alice and oh look you have to kiss now. Like <laughs> only way I'm going to be able to force these people to finally do what I know they both want to do. Mm -hmm. But I love that Geraldine who can't get a date herself mm -hmm. and doesn't have anyone in the village that she's attracted to. There is zero bitterness or jealousy or any diabolical if I'm lonely, my best friend has to be lonely kind of thing, even though yeah. she must know that if Alice is preoccupied with a boyfriend, which she is, that she might be alone more often. But it's like, no, just the most benevolent fucking good friend 
Geraldine. Yes. I feel like every character we discuss, it's going to come back to, I love you, Geraldine. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the idea of her encouraging a romantic relationship to blossom between her best friend and another person, despite what a loss that might mean to her personally. It's the opposite of something that you brought up in our absolutely fabulous episode, which is, you know, the other half of French and Saunders and how they will just openly sabotage each other's happiness to keep that codependent friendship going. And like, I wouldn't have it any other way. It is exactly correct for the tone of what that show is but this is just a very different take and it's showing the responsible emotionally mature human behavior also eventually when alice and hugo get married Mm -hmm. their ceremony is so uniquely them the children Mm -hmm. walking down the aisle are dressed as teletubbies there were so many moments in this show where i just thought of love actually Ah! it did make me think (laughs) of that bizarre nativity play at the end of love actually where there are so many animals there that shouldn't be there but it doesn't matter because it's kids and it's a great visual we did allude to the little tag that you missed but then went back and watched thank goodness where geraldine tells a joke and alice picks it apart and I think that it sort of disproves one of the like truisms about comedy, which is the idea that picking apart and explaining a joke makes it less funny because it makes it infinitely more funny. And I think that we should absolutely play a clip of one of those here. A horse walks into a bar mm-hmm. and the barman says, hey, why the long face? <laughs> why the long face? Did you get it? No, I don't. The horse has got a long face. Why is he depressed? No, he's not depressed. I don't mean actually depressed, not clinically, but something's obviously gone very wrong for him, otherwise he wouldn't be going into the bar with a long face. I mean, he's obviously lonely. Who knows, maybe he's got a drink problem as well. I always make this mistake. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I interrupted. You were going to tell me, why does the horse have a long face? Because he's a horse. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is depression. If he's actually depressed because he's a horse, he'll never get out of that. Never. He'll always have a long face. So then Hugo, David's son, and eventually Alice's husband, he's also childlike in a way that Alice is, but maybe just a bit less bizarre. For instance, there's like a Lent episode where they all discuss what they're going to give up for Lent. And he does eventually confess to Geraldine that he does think about it a lot. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to give up, like, sexual thoughts, <laughs> which is, like, I don't know how old he's supposed to be. A grown-ass, like, virginal man who's ashamed of thinking about it. Like, what are we, what are we looking at? This is weird. In a yeah, good way. that's maybe a good trans. I mean, we should still, we should still talk about all of the rest of the characters, but I do want to eventually loop back to the idea of the way that sexual humor is used in the show, because it, oh, go for it, it pops up in sort of surprising ways like like i said this is a gentler tamer comedy compared to the you know the spectrum that we're used to discussing but yeah one thing that i noticed i don't know if you felt this way too but i feel like the show uses the word testicles a lot did you yes yeah it was just like oh there's like a a sort of like testicular fixation in in the comedy writing of this and it's it was surprising to me and then later on there's like some weird bestiality things and just like a few little throwaway lines that are like ooh, that was like very saucy and very surprising and dark for a show that is such a light fluffy religious happy place yeah well 
I mean, okay, so these are two distinct people, but Owen and Jim. They get pervier as time goes on. <laughs> Thank you. They really, really do. I they, they, and I love them both so much. Ditto, ditto. But yeah, in episode two, we do have Owen, who's a farmer, right? So we do have Owen talking about how he has spent the morning, you know, elbow deep in a sheep, I think. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course, farmers do have to put their arms up animals if an animal's <laughs> given birth or if you're going to take an animal's temperature. There's a lot of weird, like, butt stuff if you're <laughs> if you're dealing with animals. But yeah, pretty early on, but then like very frequently, Owen has no shame in his game. He fucks these animals. Yeah, it's so it's so weird. <laughs> Which is so dark there. and it's like is anyone going to call the police or maybe not the police, <laughs> but is anyone going to like send him away? Is this legal? He's just openly talking about, like, his new girlfriend, who is a goat. (laughs) Slippery slope. I know, right? And then, you know, Jim, he'll have these little lines where he'll refer to something saucy in his past or Mm -hmm. how he thinks the vicar is hot. But eventually, Jim and Owen, like, can't stop hitting on Geraldine really aggressively. And they also can't stop just saying really gross things about sex. And it occurred to me very late, 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 I was like, oh, they're, they're like, probably really unpleasant to be around. This would actually be very unpleasant to be around. They're knocking on her door the night before her wedding, begging for like one final chance at, you know, having a roll in the hay. Mm -hmm. This seems miserable. And Owen's very aggressive about it. Plus Mm -hmm. he openly Bucks horses. Um, so yeah, sweet little show, but frequent mentions of, of bestiality and testicles. There's a stock sort of character of like the pervy old granddad who is aggressively hitting on the character, but like, oh, but we love him. He means well. He was raised in a different time. It's so sweet. And like, you know, in the 2020s, that obviously doesn't fly in real life. You don't get a pass because you have a daughter or because you did something nice for someone or because you are beloved by XYZ. It's pretty unsavory when you actually think about what these people would be like to be around in real life. But again, putting on my this is fiction goggles, just like how I love Adina Monsoon, even though she's a monster and a horrible abusive parent, I'm able to let that go and feel nothing but affection for these two very weird perverted old men. I'm completely with you. And in fact, with, you know, our 2021 goggles, I was surprised at how long it took me to go, wait a second, they're disgusting. I was fully like in it, enjoying everything about it. (laughs) Same here. Well, I think that that's also partially because they really do dial up those kinds of jokes in the later seasons. Because in taking it to Jim for a second, he's kind of a one joke character from the beginning, where his whole thing is that he answers every question with, no, 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 yes. He precedes every single sentence that he makes with, no, 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 no. And it's very funny and charming. But I think eventually the writers felt that that wasn't quite enough to base a whole character on. And so they're like, oh, let's take him in a gross direction and make him say these really outrageous, filthy things. But I don't think that we noticed it until later because it really wasn't happening with the same frequency until later. I screamed alone in my apartment during the episode Celebrity Vicar. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a gala in Dibley where people are essentially doing their talent. And so Jim, having just seen the full Monty, wants that to be what he does at the gala. And you forget all about it because there's a whole episode that happens 
But then we cut to the gala and he's full on in the red thong doing the full Monty choreography. And then the thong comes off and I screamed. (laughs) And it's so stupid. But again, when they go for these really intense chaotic moments that come out of nowhere it's like felt exponentially because it's more unexpected than if it were to happen in a in a more ridiculous chaotic show no you're right those moments do have more impact in the same way that like a sex scene or a nude scene in a movie is a lot more shocking and packs more of a punch than like a porno where you know that you're gonna see everybody fully naked at, at some point <laughs> not at all yes. points <laughs> yes yeah i love jim i love owen owen was actually the first character to make me laugh out loud Mm -hmm. it was in the christmas lunch incident i'd love to play the clip of him inviting geraldine over after she's already had three huge lunches hello vicar may i have a word yep you carry on (laughs) the other night you said was i going to ask you to christmas lunch and i said no and then you snogged me did i Uh, yes (laughs) and now i've realized that was your subtle female way of angling for an invite. I don't think it was. And I missed it, because I'm not a subtle female. So now I'm asking, would you come to lunch? Oh, oh Owen, I would love to. It's but... just that you're alone and I'm alone, and it's not that I want the company or anything, although it might be nice to hear a human voice on Christmas Day. Since I've spent every Christmas alone since my uncle died in the year they introduced decimal currency. (laughs) Not that you have to come, of course, because I know I'm a misery, though I have got a lot of love in my heart, as any of my cows will tell you. (laughs) If they could talk, which they can't, which is a shame in one way and a bloody relief in another. (laughs) Because what would they say? Oh, what have you been up to today? Oh, standing in a field. What about you? Standing in a field. What about you? Yes, standing in a field. Yeah, yeah, I think I've got that bit. So what do you say? Join me at Christmas lunch for the first time since 1971 or reject me, just like I've been rejected every day by everyone ever since I was born. What do you say? someone we haven't talked about yet, Frank Pickle, um, who is just the the sweetest little mustachioed old man Mm -hmm. who, like, knows he's boring but is gonna go be his boring self anyway, Mm -hmm. and he comes out of the closet on the radio, which is, like, props. But, yeah, the funniest person who is not funny. We know people like that. I'm sure you've encountered like this person doesn't know they're funny and they're not, but I laugh at everything they do. Yes, yes, yes. Can I also just say that I love that Frank's last name is Pickle. Pickle! It's just already a funny name, but also in our episode about Father Ted, I mentioned that while watching it with closed captions on Amazon Prime, it transcribed the word thicko as pickle, and uh, Dibley is definitely a whole jar full of delightful and sweet little pickles. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess the only lead that gets the least amount of screen time is Letitia Cropley. Yeah, Mrs. Cropley, she kind of dresses like the old lady that I aspire to dress like someday with like brightly colored stockings and she always seems to be knitting something pink. Her two things about her character, there's that she's a terrible cook but very experimental and also that she apparently like had a, a wild sexual past that they will sometimes allude to. Always. Yeah, but she is 
is unfortunately killed off at the end of the first season. That's during an Easter episode mm-hmm. where at the beginning, Alice is very serious about the Easter bunny is real every year. He comes to Dibley, yada, yada. And then as, you know, Mrs. Cropley is dying, she whispers something to Geraldine. We don't hear what it is. And then we see Geraldine on Easter morning dressed as a bunny, looking annoyed about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then she just runs into all of the crew and they're all dressed as bunnies as well. Yes. And it comes to be revealed Mrs. Cropley has been dressing up as the Easter Bunny and hiding eggs around Dibley for years, but I mm-hmm. guess in her old age went ahead and then told every single person yes. to continue the tradition, and then we ended up with a surplus of Easter Bunnies. But I did love that. There was a payoff of like, no, Alice, Alice isn't insane. Someone is the Easter Bunny. It's just it's not necessarily a bunny. Something that I wanted to mention about David in the pilot, when he knows that they're getting a new vicar but doesn't know that it's a woman, he says that he can't wait for the new chap to get here, and then he says that he hopes that he'll fire Alice and Mrs. Cropley, but he gives a pass to all of the other equally stupid and annoying people who are just happen to be men, which was a great, like, subtle-ish way of showing his completely unexamined sexism. He doesn't even know he's doing it. Super realistic. Yeah, I, do, I don't Super hate him. Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. I just happen to hate her because I hate her. Oh my god. I did want to go back to the pilot and how this is really one of the only episodes that does deal with the novelty of a woman vicar. I mean, it's it's not that it's never brought up again, but mostly after that, everybody except for David kind of instantly accepts her and the issue is not really brought up very much except in the sense of like, oh, she's gaining some celebrity because she is so novel. But one of my favorite clips from the pilot is when several of the supporting characters are discussing the idea of change and whether it's good or bad. Well, it can't be right, can it really? What's that? Having a woman vicar. I mean, Jesus didn't have women disciples, did he? No. But things have to change, don't they? That's right. I I mean, look at traffic lights. (laughs) Well, if they didn't change, there'd be terrible congestion, wouldn't there? On the other hand, there's gravity. What about it? If gravity changed, we'd all go floating up into space. (laughs) And no one wants that. So there's good change and bad change. That's right. I mean... There's the changing of the guard, isn't there? Oh, <laughs> And then there's prawn-flavoured crisps. Disaster. <laughs> it's... It's such a sweet little way of these very stupid characters discussing a pretty big idea in very simple and funny terms. I liked that scene a lot too, because they're faced with something new and it makes them all a little bit nervous, Mm -hmm. but they're the ones who are the most sensible at the end, which is like, let's see how she actually does at her job. Yeah, and in a way, this isn't always the case, but sometimes the most ignorant people are actually the least prejudiced because they haven't been as fully conditioned to say a day who considers himself very smart, very knowledgeable, very, you know, rational and neutral and and educated compared to all of these stupid people. But the rest of them, you know, because they don't necessarily have these prejudices as deeply ingrained, they're content to just sort of see what they see and react in a kind of automatic way with fewer layers of processing to it. And so it's Mm -hmm. actually Owen, who's one of the simplest characters who says, I say we give her a chance and see how she does. 
And uh, it's it's surprising how open-minded they are, which is really nice. Yeah, and you are right. The novelty of her being a woman, I mean, she gets to talk about it in her sermon at the end of the pilot. And of mm-hmm. course, one of the things that they make sure to show us at the very beginning of the episode is that no one's at church. Yes. Because it's, I mean, it just seems like the most boring possible place to be. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there is some excitement to show up to church to see the new woman vicar. Let's mm-hmm. see how she does. Yeah. And she knocks it out of the goddamn park. And yes. then in Songs of Praise, where yes. Peter Capaldi comes to town mm-hmm. to uh, film her sermon, you know, she does get to kind of hint at what's going on in her sermon. When I first decided to become a vicar, my life was a little bit like Mastermind. People asking me questions all the time. How? When? Why? I know there are still people who can't understand why women are allowed to become vicars. People who are worried that soon there'll be pantyhose drying on the vestry radiators and that hymns will have to be called hers. But you know, they shouldn't worry. Because while they're worrying about these little things, they're forgetting to worry about the big things. Issues like Well, how much you help those who need help. How much you love people. And show your love to them. It does come up a couple times, but then from there, there's less of a focus on her being a woman and and butting hands with David, and just more of a focus on her being just the most modern person and trying Mm -hmm. to bring change to the village in a good way, and she tries to be more of the voice of of the people, which David also doesn't like. And of the good bits of the Bible. And the good bits of the Bible. If that were what all of religion was, I would have no problem with religion at all. I think that that's really beautiful, and she's someone who really gets it. Like, I'm such a cynic, but when she gives her speech in one of the Christmas specials where they're trying to do a nativity play, yeah. I kind of thought, God dang it, that was beautifully said. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm never gushy or sentimental over speeches about Christmas and the baby and, and what it all means, except in the Charlie Brown special. What about at Christmas you tell the truth and I will love you until you look like this corpse? Uh, that doesn't really <laughs> quite hit me in the same exact way. Well, technically it's not a speech either, so trick question. <laughs> Although in that first Christmas episode, well, I mean, we should talk about her romances, right? Because it's episode two, Songs of Praise, where we first meet the Peter Capaldi character Mm -hmm. and where we first get to see Geraldine spot someone that she fancies and assume that he must fancy her back because who in their right mind would not? (laughs) And it is Peter Capaldi in all caps. Oh my fucking God, the Tristan guy from the BBC is Peter Capaldi. Jerry thinks he's hot too. Oh, I I think so too. He's the cutest. He's the cutest and he does pay a lot of attention to her and he kisses her on the cheek and look I know that kissing someone on the cheek is not necessarily a marriage proposal but to spontaneously kiss a girl on the cheek I don't think that means nothing Mm -hmm. and I can't stand it when in the end that does mean nothing because it turns out he has a a lady that he lives with Mm -hmm. the kick in the balls is during one of the Christmas episodes where he returns and knocks on her door. And there is a very Richard Curtis line where he says, like, on Christmas you do crazy things. (laughs) And I'm like, 
like, where does Richard Curtis get this idea that on Christmas people go insane and tell each other things? But yeah, he says, will you marry me? But it means, will you marry me and the person I'm marrying? Yeah. That was absolutely heartbreaking, but also funny. And I love that it is echoed, but in reverse in the episode when she eventually does get engaged. But I will say that while we're still on Songs of Praise, I mentioned that this was the first time that I started worrying about them foreshadowing a romance between David and Geraldine, simply because the two of them each fall in love with the two halves of that couple. And I thought, oh, I wonder if it's going to be like, oh, these two people are lonely and lovelorn, and eventually these two halves will also make a hole. And again, very glad that they didn't. Mm-hmm. One more thing about this episode is that I noticed that a line that I had written down that totally ties back to what we were talking about with is Geraldine happy or not, is that when she finds out that Tristan is in a relationship with another woman, she says there's more to life than just being happy. So I think there's our answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a philosophy too that I do try to believe myself. Sure. There's more to life than being happy and maybe the ultimate test of that, at least in my short American, you know, life was last year. There's got to be more to life than being happy because things can be taken away from you at a moment's notice Mm -hmm. and what you're left with is not going to necessarily be happiness. It's going to be knowing that your parents didn't leave the house and that is a victory for the day, you know, is... But yeah, we don't see her meet and fall for another man until the second season at Hugo and Alice's wedding. She meets David's shitty younger brother, Simon. Did you relate at all? (laughs) No! (laughs) You know, lying is a sin, Stephanie. Oh my god. No, Jerry meets David's sexy younger brother, Simon, who tells her up front, like, I'm a total slut, but of course that's hot. (laughs) Also, this episode for a second... I missed being blonde. Yes, okay, I did want to talk about that because that was something that was so <laughs> stupid and annoying. So stupid. Is David's so-called hot younger brother loves yeah, blonde. so-called hot, yes. Yeah, you so know, like hot. hot in the way that they end up being the bad guy, so there's like a cap on how hot they can be, you know what I mean? It's like a, oh, yeah. it's like a Billy Zane kind of like bad fiance who has to cheat. Like, I was gonna say the same thing! Right? I was gonna say it's Cal! <laughs> exactly! Yes, yes. You can't be like leading man handsome if you're going to screw over the female lead because that I guess the one exception would be Hugh Grant and Bridget Jones that's one where like oh the the very attractive man is allowed to be the cad but but generally speaking yeah I don't mean to disparage the looks of this actor but anyway he mentions that he loves blondes and so then Jerry dyes her hair and it just made me think of something that I know that we've discussed a lot which is how annoying it is that so many men are fooled by the absolute dumbest and shallowest things. Like you've gotten some unsolicited advice from some of your male friends and colleagues about what sorts of pictures you should put on your OkCupid profile. A uh, colleague of mine who is French years ago asked if he could look at my OkCupid profile and he didn't say any of the pictures were bad, but at the end, his main piece of feedback was, don't you just have a, um, a picture of you that not a selfie, but someone else took of it and you are wearing no makeup in a white dress standing in a garden. (laughs) And I said, no, because that is the most specific thing anyone's probably ever asked me. So no, I don't have a picture like that, buddy. I'm not just this mythical feminine nymph. This same coworker has just told you in your life, I liked it better when you wore dresses. Oh, there was a great afternoon where he asked me, are you attracted to me? And I said, of course you are attractive. No, 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 no. But are, are you attracted to me? 
and I'm like, you're, you're attractive. <laughs> and he's like, you know, there is a difference. And I'm like, I do know there's a difference, but I also am not pining for you or want to be with you. But I guess I am attracted to you and I find you attractive. It's yes, sure, sure, yes. <laughs> and then I asked him the same thing and he had to tell me he's not attracted to me because I liked it better when you dressed more feminine. Uh, uh, yeah, honestly, that kind of shallow, stupid thinking is like me when I was five saying that my favorite character in Bye Bye Birdie was the main character's best friend, Ursula, just because she wore a red sweater and my favorite color was red. Like, your friend is as dumb as a five-year-old girl. <laughs> my friend is as dumb as a five-year-old girl because it's like, we're at the office, we're checking each other out. He is allowed to think, ooh, yeah, she's in a dress today. I win. Mm -hmm. Whatever. But yeah, for it to be like, oh, well, you're in jeans today. You are no longer attractive. I don't prefer in the 90s when Brad Pitt dyed his beautiful long hair blonde. That doesn't make Brad Pitt an unattractive person anymore. <laughs> it does in movie land. Glasses and a ponytail or unattractive attractive facial hair if you're a man. So I mean, let's stupid. not forget the great Blackadder debate between you and me. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, um, okay, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess I guess it is a two-way street, actually. <laughs> but, I, but I mean, with Blackadder, it's different because even though Rowan Atkinson is not Brad Pitt, they uglied him up in the first series and then sexied him up in the second. That's so, true, So, like, the yes. gap between the two was, was wider than than Steph's wearing pants. That's true. Then brunette Don French versus blonde Don French. She's she's a bombshell no matter what, and it's dumb that, that anyone has a preference about hair color. That's the one thing that she went and did that I didn't think I agreed with her doing. I, I had to really think like, well, again, the last man she saw was like well over a year ago maybe at this point. Yeah. So yeah, maybe when someone comes to Dibley and they say they like blondes, you go bleach your head. She still looked very, very cute, but that's the point. She still looked cute. Yeah. It didn't make her more or less attractive. She still looked cute, just blonde. I'm not mad at her for doing it. I'm mad at him for falling for something that stupid and only for something that stupid. For not being oh yeah, because it, it does hideous work. Brown hair. Yeah, it does work, which yes. says more about him than it does about her. But yeah, so they dig each other. But I think in this episode is when she has an opportunity. We learn to transfer somewhere else. But then Simon is asked to come run an estate at Dibley. It's weird. We keep wondering, you know, should she go somewhere else and spread her wings and see what else she's capable of? And yeah. I want her to do that, but I also know she has to stay because it's a sitcom, as you said. But I didn't want her to stay for Simon. Right. I think that the question of whether she should spread her wings and go somewhere else, it kind of makes me think of It's a Wonderful Life. And, you know, George Bailey had big plans for his life that got waylaid by a number of factors, as we all know if we've seen the movie, which I hope we all have. And then in the end, he realizes that he is having a great impact just leading the relatively small life in his small town, but making ripples out to all of the people who know him. And he's exactly where he needs to be. Just like I think that Geraldine is exactly where she needs to be. I agree. Mm -hmm. oh I will my. say that when she and Simon do have their short-lived relationship before Simon dumps her, because as I wrote in my notes, Simon is a shit. She has this shot where her incredible post-sex hair is so funny. It was very much mm -hmm. like something out of French and Saunders, and I really appreciated the visual gag of that. Yeah, I I also love the visual gag of they go upstairs and then you just see the house from the exterior and there's lightning going off mm -hmm. in, in the bedroom window. Yes. Best sex of her life. Everything's going fine. And then one night he's just like, this isn't working out. There's someone else. Ugh. 
okay, why why do y'all keep doing that? Why, 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 why? Oh, you know what? It's kind of like reverse fleabag. Reverse fleabag. Yeah. Because the, the member oh, right, of the clergy she's... gets dumped instead of, yeah. <laughs> Wait, right, did you not realize right. that I meant because it was the priest? I, I didn't think about that. But yeah, he just like reveals it. And then I wrote, fine. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, starting in season three and going through to the end, there seems to be this lingering question of do women over 35 have to either settle or be alone and as somebody who is recording this on the eve of her 35th birthday, this is a question that is very much on my mind. <laughs> and, mm. uh, and I really love that the show does allow her to have what she really wants, and it doesn't force her into a relationship with David or, God forbid, Owen. <laughs> That's another great moment is in the episode where Hugo and Alice get engaged, and Owen says that he's never kissed a human. <laughs> Red flag. And so she says, okay, come on then, and lets him kiss her. And he leans in, and his mouth goes so wide, it's terrifying, but very funny. And I have been kissed like that. Not my favorite experience. But then uh -uh. he, you know, proposes to her, and she, like, very politely turns him down, but first says, can I have a while to think about it? And then when she tells Alice this, as if, like, isn't this a nightmare? Like, can you believe Owen proposed to me? She's so happy for it. She's like, oh, congratulations, that's great news! As if she's the lucky one, because, oh, an unattached woman over a certain age can't have that. Right? You're very lucky if anyone shows even the slightest interest, even if that person is a zoophile who smells bad, apparently. Very bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an issue that gets pressed even further in all of the remaining specials that wrap up the series. One of my other favorite quotes is when Jerry is freaking out about her impending 40th birthday, and she's listening to the radio to this woman who's talking about her thoughts on turning 40, and she says, and I thought, it's okay. It really is. I mean, there's nothing to be scared of. And now I can just sit back and enjoy my adorable, sexy husband, my three wonderful children, and all the benefits that come from a multi-million pound business. And then she <laughs> yells something funny. Oh god, that was so that was so relatable. It's so easy for people who have everything to reassure everyone that everything's fine. You can just have everything like me. Honestly, at what point is it just best if everyone shuts the fuck up? Because even that person who is on the radio, on TV, on a podcast, or just talking at you unsolicited about how it's fine if you're experiencing A, because at the end of the day, there's B, and the B is my perfect life. Because it's hard to remind yourself this person is probably also unfulfilled in their way and freaking the fuck out. This is the way that they are coping. There were so many times that this show really did tug at my heartstrings in both the happy way and the sad way. And the special Happy New Year, which is where she turns 40, the villagers all band together and give her the gift of going on speed dating. And that was just one of the most heartbreaking scenes, I think, of the whole series where She's one of only two women, and of course there's a young, sexy, tall, blonde girl, and the only men there are this young male model who says something like, Ah, oh, I'm sick of dating models. I want to meet somebody who's real, and blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he says all the right things to make her feel like she has a chance, but, you know, you can see the ending of this, like, a slow train coming. And then all of the other people are just the regular cast. You got Jim and Owen and David, and even Hugo and Alice asking for a threesome 
it's just ugh. oh i know it's very sad and then you know at the end they miranda hart is the person running the speed dating and she says there was one perfect match and you know jerry's face is glowing because she really thinks that it's going to be her and again love that confidence never lose it baby but of course it's the it's the dumb young beautiful people and then jerry just says just the most heartbreaking line about like you know how she wanted a like a husband and a child or whatever but still can't have everything can you and oh that just made me cry but then i also just really loved the way that this episode concluded which was sort of tying things back to you know the religious aspect of the show and the idea of doing good and caring about others and that's something that's popped up in a number of episodes as far as either her sermon that she gives or the actions that she takes. Geraldine wants the village to somehow celebrate the 20th anniversary of Live Aid. We should commemorate the spirit of that good cause by, you know, recreating it somehow here. And something that I should have looked up is the controversy about the white bands. Hmm. She wants everyone to wear these white bands on their arms because it shows their support for this cause, helping supply aid to an impoverished, you know, African country. But she goes to the website of this foundation and there's video of what the lives of these impoverished children are like. And they play out this really heartbreaking video of these kids crying. You know, people are dying of, of AIDS, you know, so rapidly in the village and all these children are being orphaned. It was really out of nowhere, but also pretty impactful nonetheless, because, yeah. you know, David didn't want to wear the band because mm -hmm. he is this Tory. And then in the end, when the video is over, she kind of apologizes, you know, okay, that, that was pretty heavy. I'm so sorry I made you guys watch that. I didn't realize. And then she turns and they're all wearing the white armbands. That was great. It just totally embodies what sort of show this is, where it gets very earnest and maybe preachy in spots, but not preachy in a way that's grating to anyone who has a heart, even if you're secular. Like, it's about humanitarianism. And, like, if, if that's not your cup of tea, if you're not into a show that's going to suddenly take a serious turn and make you think about real world issues as opposed to just savagely skewering the church and authority and lots of farts and explosions and stuff, which again, very much my bag. Yeah, then this show's probably not for you, but it's a nice little interlude and a reminder of, of you know, thinking about the big things, like she said. On that note, as I said, they did do a couple obligatory lockdown episodes. It's the vicar in lockdown and she is meant to be recording these videos that are uploaded to the website. You know, they're short, they're like just 10 minutes long and it's just the vicar. But there is an episode where she takes a walk and she walks up to this bulletin board where there are, you know, local news flyers pasted on there. And she gives a speech about Black Lives Matter. And she mm -hmm. removes all of the bulletins and she puts up a sign that says Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. Um, yeah. She then kneels in front of it. And mm -hmm. I only have discomfort around that because I feel like Colin Kaepernick just got such a fucking shitty deal and it was so awful and now everyone's kneeling. But I didn't want to shit on what they were doing because I essentially agree with it. But then if you Google that, people on YouTube were so mad. Mm. And there was this one Tory commentator on YouTube talking about, I'm not going to pay my TV license anymore if the BBC is going <sighs> to preach to me about politics. Yeah. And we could, we could talk all day about how, like, it's hardly politics. Because even the speech she gives, she says, I know that all lives matter. Mm -hmm. But until all lives are treated equally, we do need to speak up for, you know, underrepresented lives. So they make sure to keep it what I think would be, like, pretty goddamn even keel. Mm -hmm. So it did kind of 
make me think like, I wonder if people were pissed about the solidarity with the African children um, back mm. in the day. There just wasn't a YouTube or a Twitter. Interesting. I guess I'll never know. Yeah, when you frame that as, as being like that you felt maybe slightly uncomfortable with the kneeling as if it's maybe appropriate. And then you said that you saw a lot of people being angry about it online. Like, my question is, who, whom did they anger? Were black people angry about it? Or were the, the people who don't think that black lives matter about it? And like, if you're pissing off the right people, then you're doing something right. So I think, bravo, well done. Oh, I'm completely in agreement with you. It pissed off white conservatives, which Good. made me go, oh, okay, absolutely. cool. <laughs> it it yeah, should, yeah, yeah. yeah. If those are the people that you're pissing off, you're doing absolutely everything right. And also, as far as you saying that it made you uncomfortable because Colin Kaepernick got so much shit for it, it kind of makes me think of, like, the symbol of the cross. Like, if you think about what it literally means, it means the torture and death of your savior, but people wear that symbol as, you know, a sign of your belief in what he preached and in your hope and in your faith. And so you could argue that as the kneeling becomes, you know, less of something that you can be punished for, that that is a good thing. It's a sign of that belief spreading. Perhaps that is completely true. That is... Thank you. Oh, yeah. I know that a lot of cops also performatively posed kneeling. Right. But but cops and Don French as a vicar, who's pretty enlightened. Completely different. different. (laughs) (laughs) Completely different. Completely different. But no, it was was once I Googled the controversy and learned that it pissed off, you know, white conservatives. I I thought, oh, okay, never mind. Very very well done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're pissed off about the vicar of Dibley. Cool. Your life must be really easy. Yep. Yeah, people are often more pissed off about the bringing of the attention to a very serious problem than they are about the very serious problem. And that in itself is a very serious problem. (laughs) Yes. Oh, one thing I wanted to say about um, that the Happy New Year episode is she has her speed date with the cute model. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, behind door number two is Jim and -hmm. behind door number three is Owen. And I thought you were going to bring this up. (laughs) On his name tag. Brad. I thought of you so much. I thought it'd be sexier. And then the yes, way you just start saying Brad. I'm oh like, my why God, is this yes. me? I don't remember if you mentioned this in the last episode, but Stephanie has been on a very serious Brad Pitt kick for the last year and change. And uh, I fully support it. We've watched a number of his movies together. Um, yeah. I, I get it. And I can see why Owen would would want to steal his name. Yeah, I know. It's funny. It took me until age 33 to, like, discover that Brad Pitt is, in fact, very good looking. <laughs> because I used to be like, I don't pay attention to him because he's so boring and generic. He's, like, the least controversially handsome person that I can think of. The controversy is that he's looked like that since he was in his 20s. My God. Maybe he's a real vampire. I think he's a real something because the body on that man has not changed. Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Very pretty man. Let's, let's change the subject because I yes. might not recover. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, while, while we're talking about Geraldine's happy ending, after the terrible speed dating, you know, she does fall in love with the handsome stranger, the titular handsome stranger who comes to town. They, they begin a relationship. There's the classic sitcom misunderstanding where she sees him with another woman, but you as the audience, of course, into it because you've seen a show ever before that it is, in fact, his sister, but she spies on them the whole time and is convinced that he's going to dump her in the exact same fashion that Simon has, where he says that there's somebody else. And then there's the adorable thing where he asks, 
asks her to marry him and she assumes that it's like what happened with Tristan. It's like, it's very nicely planted that they play off of her two big romantic disappointments before and completely flip them. And then, you know, as, as predictable as that plot point is, the best part is that after she says yes, she just runs around the whole fucking village <laughs> screaming and it is the funniest thing in maybe the whole show that she does. It's wonderful. And it is truly what I, at least, speaking for myself, feel like doing in those moments of like romantic triumph. Yes. <laughs> Harry Jasper Kennedy. So he truly is like just a pretty dude who happens to come to Dibley and that's all she really needs to be interested. But let's be real, she lives in Dibley and that yeah. is probably all it would take. Sure. But what I loved about him, because we don't get too much of a sense of his personality, and mm-hmm. he's an accountant, we learn, yeah. but he is so into her. Exactly. He is so into her, and he loves what she does, and he's like the right kind of old-fashioned with the courtship, because he's just eager to get things started with her, and... I tire of a will they, won't they. I tire Mm -hmm. of game playing and keeping someone on their toes. It's like, if you like someone, you don't have to make it creepy by making it known. You don't have to make it weird and obsessive and I'm going to show up at your house at Christmas with some, you know, some posters. It's like, you can be just like assertive and cute about it. And that is just as goddamn exciting as a, I'm still figuring out if this person likes me. Fucking life is short. Goddamn get to it. Yeah. The first bloom of romance is lovely when you know exactly where you stand because mutual interest in someone, and I'm so glad that you brought that up, that even though he's maybe a bit of an underwritten perfect boyfriend character that we don't know a ton about, it goes back to what we were saying before about the reason that she charms all of them so much is that she is interested in them and everybody else doesn't exactly return the favor, but finally we have somebody who's going to take care of her and be engaging rather than being like, look at me and how impressive I am and I've got all these accomplishments under my belt, blah, blah, blah. Like, you just want somebody who's going to be interested in you. And on that topic, it is fine that Geraldine is going to get to be, like, the funny, bombastic person in the relationship. She doesn't have to be with someone who's more interesting and charismatic and lovely than her, because she actually is all of those things. She can be the sun and he can be the moon. Absolutely. And so then is the vicar in white because we're going to have the wedding. So of course the whole crew shows up unannounced one day to the vicar's house saying they want to plan the entire wedding for her. Alice is going to make her dress, which is like bad news. (laughs) Frank is going to do the readings. Also bad news. Mm -hmm. Jim is going to do the music and then he starts singing I'm bringing sexy back. Mm -hmm. And Owen is going to do photography, catering, and flowers. And Mm -hmm. by flowers, I mean vegetables. (laughs) And so, of course, Geraldine and Harry, neither of them love this idea. But at no point is Harry like, fuck all these weirdos. We're planning the wedding. We're leaving Dibley the second this is over. Like, he doesn't Mm -hmm. impose any bullshit cloaked in... I'm doing this for you, babe. I'm I'm getting you out of here and changing your life. I'm doing you a favor. (gasps) Like Lisa Simpson's wedding. Lisa Simpson gets married? Oh my God, you've never seen the episode? It's a fortune teller at a Ren Fair who tells her about her first true love. And it's a British guy named Hugh, voiced by Mandy Patinkin. And he ends up being a jerk. I I just, you got to watch the episode. You've got Disney Plus. Anyway. I got to watch that. It's delightful. Um, It's funny because it takes place in the future, but the future is 2010. I'm so sorry for derailing the conversation. Please continue. You you didn't derail anything. Um, (laughs) But 
I mean, Owen has another great pathetic line in there where he says, this will be the highlight of my thus far tragic life. (laughs) And I love Owen. So of course, you know, Geraldine is once again in this position of like, do I tell them to fuck off and break all of their hearts? Mm -hmm. And Harry, to his credit, kind of lets her figure that out. He's like, okay, I hear that you're unhappy. Tell them that you don't want this. But then of course she can't possibly... And she just lets it happen anyway. But Harry doesn't have any other complaints. He doesn't say, like, you fucked it up. He doesn't Mm -hmm. do that. He's just like, oh, okay, this is it. I understand. There will be vegetables. Yeah, he's just going to be a totally chill life partner, which is exactly what she deserves. Yeah. In the finale, they have a little montage of scenes from throughout the series and also of, like, behind-the-scenes footage. And, like, I am just such a sucker for that sort of ending. And, you know, I had only seen the pilot less than two weeks before, and I can only imagine how impactful that would be seeing this air, like, if you'd been following it for like a full decade and a half and it was just even more touching to think that all of the main cast are dead now except for three of them and most of those are within the last five years the real heartbreaker of course is emma chambers yeah she was only 53 right 52 53 yeah just you know and then, you know, Jim, my favorite, only died in, like, March of yeah, this year. I know. <sighs> I know. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, rest in peace, you you lovely pickles. Absolutely. We've talked a lot about how wonderful Don French is, so that kind of goes without saying. But the entire supporting cast, it's kind of like what we said about Tony Robinson as Baldrick in Blackadder, mm-hmm. where the acting is so good that you don't even see it. You just completely accept them as these real people come to life on your screens and uh yeah everyone in this just did such a swell job the more i think about you and i both saying well we kind of struggled in the first (laughs) you know couple episodes there and Mm -hmm. then once we were charmed that was it like i remember Mm -hmm. the moment that i kind of went okay i think i'm gonna like this show was in the last episode of the first season where she kind of is in trouble with everybody again and she might not be able to stay and she decides to have a um special service day where people are allowed to bring their animals to the church and she doesn't know if everybody is going to show up and David wants to have her replaced after the animal service is made fun of in the paper. Mm -hmm. So once again, it's like, oh no, what an embarrassment this woman is bringing to Dibley. And she prays and she says, I like it here. Mm. And so then to see just the crowd of people arriving and all of those animals, even if you're not a diehard 24-7 animal lover who's always watching cat videos. Like, if you see a bunch of animals together, ranging from farm animals to little domestic pets, it's like, that was such a great moment of triumph for her and and of just whimsy and a great visual and a great, like, okay, you know what? Mm -hmm. I, I like it here too. And so then by the time I started watching the Easter and Christmas specials in the next season, it was almost like I myself got used to, quote, living in Dibley. Mm-hmm. learning the ropes, getting used to people, understanding to be a little more patient with Frank and Jim. And Alice is kind of annoying and impossible, but she is my best friend and mm-hmm. she loves me. It was, yeah. you know, kind of like how we've talked about the show of the week can sort of bleed into our real lives. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a topic that I would like to return to later as we wrap up because I had some weird sort of confluence of events over the last couple of days. But um, mm. two very important questions, first of all. First is, uh, which character are you? I already said that I was David because of my hardened heart that was softened over the course of these 20 episodes. Um, I'm going to go ahead and 
give myself a compliment for once and say I'm Geraldine. Geraldine. Fuck yes, I agree. I am fucking Geraldine. Stephanie, will you marry me? (laughs) (laughs) I I forget her lovely quote, but I do do wonder if two lonely people should be together. Um... (laughs) Well, that was an easy question. Now the harder question comes, which we didn't do in the last episode because they were real people, but we got to do a Shag, Mary Kill. I mean, we could do the three ladies. The three ladies. Obviously, Mary Geraldine. My first thought was, even though I know it does feel cruel to kill Leticia. She's already dead, though. Yeah. Maybe we just gently put her out of her misery on her deathbed. Maybe we could just feed her some of her own food and that'll do the job. There you go. And then, um... So how do we do it if there's five people? I feel like I've heard Shag Mary avoid as like the nicer way of saying that you don't want to kill someone, but we can do Shag Mary kill and avoid and flatmate. Um, oh my God. Now Jim, Frank, Owen. I'm speechless. <laughs> God, I mean, what do you do? Who do you marry out of these? Well, I would probably be most inclined to marry Hugo because he's the only one who's under 50 and he's not smart. But he's not as much of a fucking freak as the other men besides his father. And he's not a mean, you know, Tory like his father. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry Hugo. That's the only thing that I'm certain about. That's what I wrote down. And now I'm torn on who I'm going to fuck. I could either have a perfectly normal time or roll the dice. (laughs) I'm either fucking David because that at least would not be disgusting. But do I want to fuck a Tory? Probably not. It would probably also be a pretty unenjoyable experience, but one that I would survive. Or I could see what Jim's been bragging about. <laughs> yeah, this is this is hard. If you had asked me this in the first season, I might have said Shag Owen. But then as soon as we, you know, hear about the bestiality, but also see him go in for the kiss and hear about his bad breath and the pork stuck in his teeth for a whole week and his B.O. Exactly. And that's also, unfortunately, a reason why I don't want to live with Owen either. But I don't mm-hmm. want to kill him. Maybe... Maybe I would live out of all of these people with David because he and his son already live together and they've got a pretty nice house. So it wouldn't be the the end of the world to just have like a, a multi-generational home. And like, I could tolerate him. I was thinking it might be nice to live with Frank because he's pleasant enough. But then if you think about like being bored to death by all of his stories, that becomes a little too much. Ooh. But could you just live with Jim? I think you'd live with, well. Oh, this is, this is going to hurt. Even though I think Owen is my favorite character, I would probably have to kill him, if only because of what he does to his farm animals. That crossed my mind. I guess I'm with you and I'd, I'd have sex with Freaky Jim and see what the fuss is about and just leave poor Frank by himself and never meet him. I came up with the same answer. Okay. Yeah. That was a tough one, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Early on, I was talking about how the humor of this didn't really grab me. And a lot of the lines seemed kind of predictable and I would get ahead of the punchlines. And I was just kind of in a bitter mood about having to watch this very difficult homework. But then there's a line that Hugo has in the episode about the animals where he's, he's talking to his father and he says, it's not so much a good plan as the worst plan since Hitler's dad said to Hitler's mom, let's go upstairs, Brunhilde. I'm feeling a little saucy tonight. And I was like, echoes of Blackadder, exclamation. Point. Plus, it's a Hitler joke. It's just really firing on all the British cylinders. And I was finally won over by that. Like, okay, this this show actually is very clever and, and funny and has a lot of specificity to it. Oh, yeah. 
when Jerry kisses Owen, sizzle my sausage, can I have another? Mm. That reminded me of like, oh, peel my tangerines yes. or something else sort of black adderish. Yes. And then when he comes over, he says he wants to marry Jerry after the kiss because he wants to have sex with a human woman and doesn't want to pay for it. Mm. It was after that moment that I wrote in bold, this is getting good and weird. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was sort of yeah. a combination of the show bending more to what our tastes are and also us. Like, we kind of met it in the middle. Yeah, because you can't, or I guess you could, but you, you maybe you don't prefer to have a show that's just village idiots being innocently stupid mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, that would be too twee. And again, early on, I was frustrated by the fact that it was a show about religion, but that it didn't take aim and really skewer religion. Like, I think you mentioned at the top that there's a little cameo by Kylie Minogue. She gets roped into performing at this little festival thing, and Jerry is begging her because uh, they, you know, need an opening act, and Kylie says, my mother did always tell me never say no to a priest, and in my head, I'm going, oh, no, 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 that's, that's very bad. And like, I wanted for them to make a sick kind of Father Ted-ish joke about it. But then Geraldine just says, I love your mother. And I was like, oh, missed opportunity. Why would you not? It's a gift right there. And you just let it lie. But then something that I eventually grew to appreciate about this show is that not everything that's about religion has to be either scathingly anti or creepily pro. And the show takes kind of a neutral to positive stance. Like, it's just any other aspect of life. It was kind of eye-opening in a way, and if I may, I, I alluded earlier to how you said that sometimes our lives can take on the theme of the show, and yesterday I had a couple of experiences. One was a live-streamed memorial of the sister of a very dear friend of mine from college. This girl, Katie, is one of my only friends who is Christian. I mostly have pretty atheistic or agnostic friends, and so the service was in a church, and there were three different clergy people people who spoke and they were all women and um you know usually if I'm watching a funeral or a memorial I kind of tend to tune out during the religious bits and then tune back in when people who knew the deceased start in with their specific speeches and, and telling anecdotes in the my mind zones again during the the biblical passages but this time I made an effort to really listen to the words and they were all really beautiful and uplifting and about love and peace and and comfort and joy and life and it's just this whole aspect of religion that I've been pretty ignorant of because I, you know, as a pretty, not not militant, but like at least internally militant atheist for my whole life, I've just kind of been very quick to dismiss it as this thing that does more harm than good in the world and is stupid and how can you possibly believe in these thousand year old lies, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I feel like this show made me a lot more tolerant and then after watching that I had like a four-hour dinner with my friend Ebony who's my other Christian friend and uh, somehow just organically the topic came up about like religious hypocrites and people who use their faith like to bludgeon other people and Ebony said I just don't understand how they do that like we did not read the same book and I just nodded and said yeah that's right you and those other three women clergymen and Geraldine Granger were all reading from the same book and I have nothing but respect for that book. Oh, yeah. Was, I'm, I'm really glad you shared that. That's yeah. really nice. No, I mean, it was just, like I said, I, I, you know, I'm not gonna completely do a 180 and like convert to Christianity. And I still do think that on a macro level, historically speaking, taking in the context of the whole world, I think that organized religion has probably on the balance done more harm than good. But sure. at least on a personal level, I understand why people need it and why people love it. And um, 
you know, if they're reading the right book, if they're taking after the Geraldine Grangers as opposed to the really creepy, awful people that we like to see made fun of in satire. You know, I, I think that going forward, after having seen this show and had these experiences, I will be a more tolerant person and less of an arrogant dick about it in my head. Hell yeah. <laughs> I liked what you said about how it's not an overly preachy show and it's also not like a Father Ted, like a cynical, mm -hmm. satirical show. Yeah. Because I do think that, unfortunately, the version that I get of religion is always the overly preachy, hypocritical one. And I don't want to think that everybody who attends church on Sunday is that way. Yeah. But then there's also the smartasses like me who will watch Father Ted and be like, yes, this is the one and only take that I want because I like <laughs> it. That makes Fun one, usually. It, it, it's definitely yeah. more fun, but but I do like that this just kind of presented people who believe in God, mm -hmm. but they're not too hung up on it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and she is a vicar, but she is a fun vicar. Mm -hmm. I would hang out with her. Yes. I would love to, you know, tear it up with Geraldine. And, you know, she has read the Bible and she did take from it what I think is what's supposed to be taken from it. Mm -hmm. But she also doesn't think she's going to hell for hiding her chocolate bars in a <laughs> faux Bible. Yes. So yeah, it was just a nice depiction of like, not a God-fearing village, but like a village where people attend church on Sunday and believe in the word of God and own Bibles. Yeah. You know, this is a show that more than one person has tweeted at us or emailed us, DM'd us about, please watch The Vicar of Dibley. And so I'm so glad that we finally did. I'm really glad we had similar trajectories of mm -hmm. our enjoyment and our understanding. I also think that it was maybe a particularly good show to watch during a time in the pandemic where pandemic's still happening. You and I are in agreement on on that mm -hmm. um but the way that things are changing for vaccinated people i kind of feel like my priorities and my needs and wants and, and desires are shifting yeah. and so a year ago i was pretty much just terrified of everything 24 7 and i'm not saying that i'm no longer afraid of anything mm -hmm. but i do feel like i am missing community and i'm thinking more about that now than i used to think about it mm. i used to only think about germs and destruction and now it's like i'm remembering things that i miss and so it was really nice to just spend time with these people who are in this cute little village all up in each other's business all the time. It seemed mm -hmm. really nice, yeah. even though for the time that it was filmed, it was supposed to look a little grating mm -hmm. and inescapable. But to me, it looked like a vacation. And yeah. so I am I am so glad that we watched it. So next week, we will be covering a bit of Fry and Lori. You can tweet or Instagram. Our handle is at Anglo Podcast. Uh, if you feel like throwing us a few bucks on Patreon, you can, but don't feel obligated at all. We are a small, independently run podcast. It is just Kaylee and me. And as we know, algorithms are everything now. Yes. And so in order for more people to hear the podcast, one of the things that you can proactively do is leave us a review. Go ahead and give us five stars. It really only takes a second, but it could make such a difference for a tiny little beloved podcast. We love you and, and bless you for listening. No, 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 no. Yes.